never know who to trust here on Deidre Please, the heinous trip at Warp 5. My name is Joseph. And I, too, enjoy a good practical joke, hidden camera, TV show. I'm your co-host, Peter. Peter, what episode of Star Trek Enterprise did we watch this week? We watched Punked. (laughs) (laughs) Season 3, episode 14. First aired February 4th, 2004. This is Stratagem, teleplay by Mike Sussman. Again, Phyllis Strong, not around. I don't know if there's uh, trouble in paradise in those two split ways or what, but story by Terry Metalis, right? Not a shocker. Yeah. Directed by Mike Viger. These are, well, Terry Metalis is a little nobody at this point. This is what his third writing credit, maybe second and last writing credit on Voyage on uh, Enterprise. Well, Sussman's there and V'ger's been around the block a lot. This is a good. This is a good, uh, you know, again, I'm not I'm discounting Metallus because he's not going to be a fixture. We know he will go on to better things. But Sussman, V'ger, like these are the frequent names, but these are the good frequent names. What I'm yeah, saying and, is it's not Brandon and uh, fucking Berman. And having Metallus, he wrote the story and then like your more seasoned hand you know, Sussman comes in and turns it into a teleplay and then you have a good director. I think that's what ends up building what ultimately let's get right to the point. This is a good episode. This is a solid entry into the canon of the, the whole Zindi arc. Uh, it, I, I purposefully obviously drove you away from reading anything about this before you watched it so that you could preserve the experience of watching it to begin with. Since the first third of the episode is, trying to kind of give you a story and then backfilling later. And I think that uh, really works well overall. And I'm, I'm curious if how much not knowing what was going on helped you in your experience. Yeah. So I went in blind on this episode because we did skip the uh, customary synapses that we'll read at the end of an episode. Oh, for our fans, I wanted to ask you a quick question. Did you just purposely mispronounce synopsis? Is that is it was that was that you charmingly playing into your your uh, pronouncing things about incorrectly? What next. Yeah. Are you just keeping them guessing? Because I I always just let it ride. The answer, the answer will be disclosed in Patreon. All right. Okay, I like that. I like it. It's paywall content. <laughs> paywall the humiliation. It's it's obvious. I think pretty quickly that this is a ruse. Um. They have gone to the future and they've gone to the past. There's been so much time travel or, you know, fucking Wild West worlds and stuff like this seemed too serious, especially in the light of uh, Twilight, that they would honestly have another time jump episode or an alternate reality. That said, they sell the ruse very well. Um, and it's a, it's a solid episode. I've got some complaints, but they're all very minor. And what really stands out about this episode is that it is on tone perfectly that there's high stakes. It's, it's a dangerous time for everybody involved. Nobody's fucking around. Uh, there's clear desperation. And when you take an episode like this, and then you look at some of the other season four entries, like. Uh, fucking true north or whatever and some of the other silly slapstick shit it's like are they intentionally doing these more lighthearted episodes to to break up the mood 
of season four or is it just keep saying got, season four, by the way, Yeah, season three, whatever. Or is it just asking too much for a lot of these writers to sit down and read the source material and watch a couple episodes and have a genuine understanding of what they're doing? Terry Metalis uh, obviously is a fan and it's yeah. obviously somebody who is willing to give the source material the fucking time of day. And we've seen that before. Who was the other guy the, who did Timeless? Let's see. I can't remember, I can't remember who did Timeless. Let me Every now back. and then. Um, I'm thinking of uh, the guy who got uh, the was supposed to get Discovery. Fuller? Oh, Brian, Brian Fuller? F- Brian, Brian, Brian Fuller, yeah. That was another guy where it's like, okay, clearly you've watched more than an episode and a half. Clearly, you understand what the background motivations of these characters are. Oh, I forgot that uh, Timeless was a story by Rick Berman, Brandon Braga, and Joe Manowski. There must have been a lot of cocaine in the office. (laughs) Well, I mean, it was directed by LeVar Burton. It was definitely a time where everyone was performing outside their remit. (laughs) So a a deal with the devil was struck and and time and space were bent to make uh, the impossible happen. But no, you get like uh, Brian Fuller where it's like, this is a guy who's trying, who who has watched, understands the source material, and they're honestly trying. And wow, look at that. Great things are possible. I share your overall sense that like Metallus being a fan and being a nerd for this stuff is why this episode works, because it is a, a, essentially a direct sequel to last week. Right. We're following up right on what happened with the Andorians when they were there, when they tested the weapon. And interestingly, there's no previously on uh, Leiden, right? Right. And there has been that prior. This one would have been a a prime candidate because of how heavily the two are intertwined. I'm wondering if it's because they're like, ah, we don't want to like spoil stuff because this is like a, a, a plot twist episode or if it's just like those intros are stupid and we shouldn't do that. And we're not going to do it. Well, I think, I think honestly, it's probably the first, which is it took, it had been a while since they'd gotten onto the plot. So they just wanted to make sure they were reminding the people following along what it was, but the, you know, the, they're right after the weapon test. They're gathering more information about it. We know Degra was there. It was on this ship. We see that ship again. You know, they're, all of the pieces about uh, like the the shipment of the Kima site that they had uh, altered by uh, the Arboreals that were on that planet, the conversation that Archer watched, like because Metallus is a nerd for this stuff and he's read all the scripts and he knows like where this is going to land in the seat in the season, he's got it tied into everything that happened before, which is the kind of attention to detail you really want out of a Trek writer. And I think goes to show why he was so ultimately successful when he made Picard season three, because it's just the sort of thing that he is tuned into because he likes this stuff. He grew up on it. This is his first job in Hollywood. Like this is he. Of course, he's going to treat it with seriousness and it pays off in a script that uses all of those elements to provide what you talked about. Immediacy, stakes, desperation, getting you invested in what's going on, keeping it flowing. This thing fucking zooms, man. Like I looked up, it was half over. I mean, it's on a clip. There is one story. They tell it. They, uh, and before you know it, it's over. It's a tidy 44 minutes. Um, And that 44 minutes begins with the ruse, which is Archer in a tiny shuttle 
which is so uh, clearly a type two that's been redressed. Like I've never looked at a set piece and been like, I, I, I can see where the windows are and it's just like shit filled in there. And they took this redressed type two shuttle and they put Archer in some older man makeup and we see a, a Zindi that's familiar to us. We know it's Dagra wake up on the ground and this uh, rickety old looking shuttle of some kind. And Archer is acting like he knows the guy. He doesn't know who Archer is. And he fills him in that, hey, yeah, uh, we were prisoners of the insectoids. Uh, no time to talk. We need to get the fuck out of here. Please help us. Help me get this fucking bucket of bolts uh, going. And they manage to continue. They, you know, do an oil slick via, you know. Uh, so sad they didn't light their fights on fire, man. I was really I I felt that was the one bit of continuity really missing here. Well, they didn't set their farts on fire. I think they just put a bunch of methane gas. They just farted a lot. So they just wafted into their face and they're like, "Ooh, no. And then they run away. Well, since so they, they didn't use have to the plasma to, to jam up the intake manifolds, like essentially they they sharded. So they didn't ever yes. have to light it on fire because there was like particulate matter present. And people are like, no, they're, they're busy wiping off their mouths like they're truly disgusted. Uh, but w- what we see here is a archer that is and there's no indication to the audience right away uh trying to convince degra that they are uh their boys and that they've been in prison together they are escaping together and degra doesn't remember any of this because he's been recently tortured this is the archer gaslighting spectacular it is this is an episode that's actually about gaslighting someone (laughs) <laughs> as an interrogation technique. I want to talk about Scott Bakula and I want to talk about Jonathan Archer. Um, I think Bakula does a good job this episode. There's no point in which I feel like he is failing. Uh, I don't feel like Jonathan Archer has any petulant points where he is miserable to watch. And as I'm watching, especially once, you know, they find, you know, Archer looks in the camera and you're like, they zoom out and, you know, it's a HP LCD monitor redressed as an enterprise monitor. I'm like, OK, th- this absolutely is uh, it's not a holodeck they're on, but this is a physical mock up uh, bullshit here. Um, what a proficient liar Archer has turned into, and I forget which episode it was season one, like the first time he was really forced to lie. And I feel bad for not taking notes or putting this in my notes, but there've been a couple key entries at this point into Archer, the liar. If there's any shaking ground that this episode's on, it's the bonkers timeline that they have to uh, fail on their initial interrogation attempts, conceptualize this plan build the fucking set piece which they make quite a deal of in the episode of how complex it is to build something like this because of the details you need to make sure you don't fuck up i was almost like a little writer's room wink like you can't just make a ship the ship needs a history what's the language on the panels what conditions blah 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 uh so you have to make the the set piece you have to come up with the fucking story right you gotta build your campaign setting 
Because uh-huh. this is basically a LARP going on in here, right? This is an escape Apparently room Apparently, DePaul's LARP. got some Dungeon Master experience because she comes up with the it. whole thing. I believe it. Yeah. Um, and the fact that they're doing all this within eight hours or something crazy is... It was, th- it was three days. It was three days ago that they encountered the ship and disabled it and captured them. So all that stuff happens over oh, a it was few days. eight hours to the point where um, they realize it's do or die. Yes. That's um, when the other ship shows up and they're on, they're on the clock. Even three days. Like, Oh yeah. The, it strains any form of credulity that they pulled this down, but at yes, least, it's a TV show about moving faster than light and also being able to materialize and dematerialize objects through thin air. But still, I listen, I worked in a high school theater. I know what building set pieces. <laughs> takes. Oh yeah. You know, your tech team is going to take, is going to need time to build that set. You know, this is, you need to customize your alien language and everything, but so anyways, Archer has become quite the liar. And it's interesting to watch that progression where he is willing to jump headfirst into a ridiculous scheme where he is the linchpin. His acting is going to be the linchpin. And I've noticed that there is a acting style that Scott Bakula has where he is portraying Jonathan Archer, who is trying to sell a bullshit story. Um, there's a lot of what was uh, a Con Aramar. <laughs> There's a lot of Con Aramar here, right? I'm uh, lying that I'm now a scummy pirate and we're flying our shitty ship and I hate you, but I got to bro you up to get, you know, the thing I want. So, yeah, the 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 style that Bakula employs to portray Archer actively acting as something else like. It rubs me the wrong way, but I can understand that's why Archer would think that I'm sorry why Bakula would think that Archer like Archer can't fully commit even when Archer's supposed to be mad or like yelling or like impassioned. There's still like this wall. He can't act past. And I think it's intentional. Uh, it annoys me, but I recognize it for what it is. And I accept. I think it. it's like it's Archer's not, you know, Scott Bakula is an actor. Archer is not. So Archer's like trying to think on his feet, feel his way through situations in in a fashion in which he's still an amateur at this particular kind of deception. So it it adds attention, of course, because it's like, you know, he's not going to quite be able to pull this off. And it's like a matter of when Degra finally figures it out. But when he's like touches the the holodeck wall of the limit that Archer can act up to, like the point where Archer's character uh, gets their back up, like, Oh, what? You still don't trust me? Like that. It feels like um, uh, there's shades of Napoleon Dynamite. Gosh, gosh, Degra. <laughs> Three years later, you still don't trust me. What a jerk. Ugh. So I, I, I really like that they spend as much time as they do in the deception first before bringing you out and giving you the rest of the story. Why? It's like you, I like you said. You kind of know like what the fuck is going on. You think something's going on, but like what's going on? And you spend time in the deception, particularly with Degra, like giving some information away and all of that, which again, we haven't seen much of him aside from like his stern meetings with the Terminus system Legion of Doom. And he's, he's, his character starts to come out a little bit. And you, because you spend so much time 
when the deception is finally put on pause and they sedate him for a while. So Archer can like talk to everybody and he comes out, you find out that all that information that you as the audience watched come out was the first time all of them heard it. So when he admits like he designed the weapon, that's like the first thing trip mentions. He's like, Oh, I'm motherfucker. He's the guy. He's the man. He did it. Like he killed my sister. He's the dude. Interesting. You know, like, Oh, I got to hear that. They heard that for the first time that right there. And I got to see it. I thought that was a neat trick. I enjoy that. They spend so long in character in the ruse because it is a fun. What if to explore, right? Like twilight was just depressing. Uh, This side of things where humanity has been scattered, like again, I know it's bullshit, but watching him flesh that out, talk about their relationship, um, it's good. And as he gets Degra to start opening up, talking about his children, how his wife wasn't happy that they had to relocate to this uh, R&D, the shitty R&D industrial zone, uh, the humanizing of Degra as they watch the footage and basically all the guy could think about was like how many of these was it? Million or billions that died. Uh, when he talked about the initial probe, how many people died? Seven million died. Seven million. You know how many of those were children? Mm-hmm. This isn't uh, a Voyager grade Doctor Mangla, right? Yeah, no, they they humanize him sufficiently that you don't hate him for just being the bad guy. He you also don't resent conscience, and you don't resent Archer necessarily for not just slitting this, you know, not blowing him out an airlock in the end when, you know, and there's other reasons why they don't do anything bad to that crew because they want to keep the element of surprise, but excellent job taking one of the season's bad guys. And this is hard too, because like Legion of doom, it might as well be the fucking Dick Tracy rogue gallery. (laughs) Buttons Malone and fucking Brick Top and whatever. Very colorful, but you don't know much about them. Well, and you don't want to, you know. Uh, there's the stupid insectoids that are mean and vicious, and there's a reptilian that have terrible fashion sense. So far, the most interesting have been uh, the Sea World guys and uh, Degra. I think Degra's also gotten the most screen time up to this point as well. He has, like, and it's easy to see why, because, you know, as the humanoid the most humanoid form of zindi to make that the guy who's designing the weapon that's the least amount of makeup you got to put on a guy every time and allows them to act more kind of interact with the characters they when they pause the deception come back to enterprise we get the fill-in of what happened they went back to the test site Degra showed up didn't know enterprise was there so enterprise just like straight disabled the ship took him captive tried to download their database and it kind of deleted everything except one these, letter that Sagra was writing to his wife and kids. These clowns. These Zindi idiots. First of all, you're doing your super dangerous weapons tests. It's you and two other ships. And then Shran comes in there with his buddy's carpet shtick, right? <laughs> Which, if you're not in the U.S. and we're around during, like, the 90s, Buddy's Carpet was some real annoying 
Uh, Take a look at their ads on uh, on YouTube. Come on down to Buddy's Carpet. Yeah, come on down to the Andorian Mining Consortium. I'm going to get you a great discount on a finder's fee. I'll guarantee And then gave them Savage Ass Beatings special guest star Enterprise on a yeah. 2v3 and stole their fucking weapon. And it's like these guys haven't figured out like, hey, uh, it's dangerous to be out. We shouldn't be alone. I'm a yeah, super the human, important the human's main difference. Not only are the humans uh, here, uh, they are handing out ass whoopings. So, uh oh. <laughs> yeah, we need like beefed up security. Also, I am the head of the super illegal and important weapons program. Maybe I need more than two other people in my ship around me. Like, for as smart of a guy as this is, um, you need a general above him being like, yeah, post like a permanent fleet or whatever. Uh, also, jumping back into the ruse. Archer's story is good, and that's basically like Earth was a diversion. Uh, the insectoids were getting everybody else to focus on Earth while they built a big badass fleet. And then after Earth fell, they crushed you guys and, and you know, you were imprisoned in this and that. So solid on that, right? They capture him, they get Degra over and Degra's two lackeys. Still, there's only one brig. Is that what we're, we're saying? Right? Correct. I disagree with having all of your prisoners in one place, but whatever. And he doesn't want to cooperate. Neither do his guys. And maybe if they had more time, they could do more creative things. But Phlox has a. Uh, morally nebulous discovery he's made, and that's look at that. I can manufacture for giddy pills. I do love that Flox continues his reputation as being willing to do some off the books dirt, some medical dirt on behalf of this mission. Whatever it's uh, casually creating temporary clones of your chief engineer or uh, facilitating the uh, enhanced interrogation techniques of the captain such that he can. Uh, utilize a, a forget-me-not uh, treatment into uh, uh, some actionable intelligence. Flox uh, is your man. He's willing to do the medical dirt you need done. Let's go back to the no-no book, the plot mistake book of um, milestones and achievements that shall never be mentioned again. <clears throat> Come on with me. We're going to we're going to page past uh, Federation Necromancy. Oh, there's Trans Warp. We'll get past that one. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Oh, um, slug clones that have full memories. <laughs> I could have gone for a scene where Archer said, hey, I just had to watch my good friend die. How about we take this guy designing the fucking Death Star to kill the rest of Earth and we make a clone out of him and we pump him for info. We do some Rick Sanchez to his ass and then I could watch him slowly die. And then, you know, Flocks could have been like, hey, I'm out of slugs or, you know, humans turns out that they embed their memories. But, you know, who knows if these guys will transfer their memories in the same. uh, You know, encoded DNA. Yeah, no, I think you have a point They could have brought it up in some fashion, you know, Archer could have concluded. And then when he's about to die anyway, I can have Trip come down here with a baseball bat and he can get his yayas out. <laughs> like yeah. everyone's a winner. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like 
we we, we squared away. But uh, they cut right to the chase to say we can enhance interrogation this guy if we set up a circumstance and a story and a whole apparatus by which he starts to willingly kind of cough some stuff up. I do like that Hoshi seems to be the one that's like monitoring the whole uh, adventure and like feeding information in and taking information out and trying to like create a response in real time. And how would they do that show? Well, with a subdermal communicator, the, this this apparently shit hot tech of the twenty second century that the Makos have sub, sub subdermal communicator, you know the sort of the sort of thing that uh, they used on Voyager, you know one time. once one time just one time, mm-hmm. yeah. Some moons never close for me. Uh, it's the concept that you would. If you just people. joined us over the last hundred episodes, you probably have no <laughs> fucking idea what we're talking about. But let's just say that a lot of Voyager plots would have been solved by the presence of subdermal communicators, a technology that we have now canonically established existed before Kirk did. And Not it's just simple. technology that existed, but was actively installed in duty personnel. Correct. Um what a horrific not a horrific but i mean again this is this is some real morally uh brown stuff they're doing here we're going to drug this guy we're going to uh larp him through a <laughs> oh, what was that movie the game with michael douglas yeah Which, if you have you seen it yes i have Fucking 10 out of 10. One of my favorites. But we're going to game him. And then after like it kind of fails, Archer goes right back and says, I'll fucking forgetty pill your ass again and we'll do this whole thing again. I'm going to go year of hell on you, fool. I'm going to show I'm going to show the Kremens how you do it. We're yeah. going to run this bitch over and over and over until <clears throat> I have murder workplace. What was it? Coworker murder simulator. <laughs> That I've gotten all the endings. I get the good ending. I'm going to get the bad ending. I'm going to get the really bad ending. I, I really liked that uh, there is no sort of like magical moment where Degra and Archer really understand each other. No, no. They're enemies. They are enemies. They have a moment. Like you said, there's a very humanizing speech that Degra lays out where he considers the moral uh, dimension of what he's responsible for. And Archer has to like play out his own emotions and try and conceal that and stay in character at the same time, even though like this is some shit he had never heard before. But ultimately, uh, Degra sees Archer as the enemy and Archer definitely sees Degra as the enemy. And that is still the case at the end. And part of that is I will just keep trying to find novel ways of torturing you such that I can get the information I need about where the fuck this weapon is. If you're not just going to fucking tell me. You're going to drink all the space roof and all on a long enough timeline, but he doesn't have that timeline. And that's going to be a pretty good vehicle to move the plot forward. Um, I, I, I would have liked when Degra was disclosing the emotional weight that the deaths on Earth carried. And he's like, you know, I'm 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 sure I already told you this. And he's like, no, actually, you hadn't like 
Archer to kind of pump that a little bit more and be like, you know, we aren't, we weren't the enemy. You know, we, you guys got played. Like, if you were going to have Degra come out sympathetic at all, like that would have been a really great vehicle to to create that situation. But like at the bare minimum, there should have been some sort of protest from Archer. Like we didn't even know you guys existed. The, the whole thing has been manufactured. Like what did they tell you? Who is feeding you this information? Who is showing you this video? Like understanding who the the real man behind the curtain from the future was. Uh, but that's not what Archer's mission was. And again, there will come to be a, a time factor on this. So there's bigger fish to fry. So uh, where the tension picks up is that not only do they have a ticking clock of getting the information, the information that they have gathered suggests six possible locations where the, the weapon might be because they're all gas giants that are in relative close approximation to where Enterprise is. But some of them are as far away as 40 some light weeks, years. Yeah. So it, it's not realistic to search all of them. What they need is for Degra to narrow down where it is that they should be looking. And at the same time, there's more Zindi approaching and they've only got a matter of hours left before they're going to show up and their cover is going to be blown. And at that point, anything they try and do to intercept the weapon might be for not if, if they're super ready for them. So they've got to try and speed run Degra to giving up more information. Now, Degra even calls out and says like, listen, I get for you. It's been for three years and I I'm believing what you're telling me. But for me, it feels like yesterday we were still enemies. So forgive me if I don't believe I don't entrust you with like, encrypted coordinates uh, for where our base was, uh, comm channels that we used to use, this and that. I'm quick to point out bad retreads and complain about it. This is all retread here. I mean, this is like, I don't know, it feels like at least a quarter of every Romulan episode that we ever see where it's like an Enterprise crew member gets kidnapped and put into like some ultra realistic simulator to, to extract information. Sometimes it's not even really the Romulans. It's a, you know, a little child demigod with a fucking holodeck of his own. The Romulans do like to MK ultra people, don't they? <laughs> like, yeah. It's like that thing. I like when uh, Archer's like, okay, we're going to build a mock-up of a shuttlecraft. We're going to do that in uh, cargo bay two, which we shall now call a uh, Guantanamo Bay too. <laughs> We're gonna do some waterboarding real quick. Yeah, gonna be some, <laughs> some real off the book stuff. So they try they to get cannot drunk. leave. Yeah, which again, I mean, you could have just drugged them. It, whatever. Um, they can't just leave the area with Degra's ship either, because if it comes to light that Degra's been kidnapped, then that could. That would indicate that, you know, he's been compromised and they can change locations and basically go deeper undercover. So they don't call that out specifically, but that's a clever plot device to make them have to fully commit to the bit without, you know, actually just getting the laser scalpel and slowly dissecting them and real physical torture. Uh, they are also dealing with the additional struggle that lingering radiation from the weapons test is fucking with enterprises systems 
And as a result, the simulator down in Guantanamo Bay 2 starts malfunctioning. And that's kind of what tips Degra off that uh, shit's fucky. Yeah, there, there's a nice bit of tension in the fact that the radiation is not only it's fucking with the systems, but it's also the key reason why they have been successful in hiding from the other Zindi because it's not possible for them to read what's going on there. So they're, they're like stuck in here as long as they can handle it, but it then creates these potential risk factors that ultimately manifest in while Archer gets really good information. He gets uh, a potential location put into the computer by Degra when he thinks that he's the only one putting in the navigational coordinates by feeding a fake conversation on a secure quote secured channel with other Zindi primates. But before he can really like lock down confirmation the way that he wants, the aforementioned flaw happens. Dagger starts to get his natural suspicions, starts to raise his hackles. And uh, he doesn't understand the code. He doesn't understand that if he just tried to give Archer a head wound, he could have been had a very nice time in there the rest of oh, the yeah. day. Uh, but instead tries to uh, pull a, a quick prison shank maneuver. And if you bust out a knife, Archer is going to have to to pass out the head wounds. That's himself. not sexy. You don't want no, that. No, that's not cash money or sexy. Um, that prison shank, which is the most wicked looking serrated turkey carver you've ever seen. That was a bad uh, prop to leave unaccounted. That that should have probably exited the shuttle much earlier. Reed, Reed, Reed was in charge of, of the of the shuttle, remember? So he just left a knife in there for Degra to find. Well, the knife was uh, there initially so they could cut the gummy worms out of his veins. Which that oh, was that's real- right. Yeah, the Regala and uh, Bloodworm. I like that they addressed what that was, you know, like that it's one of Phlox's little things. I, I want to say that's been mentioned several times before, like it appears that it goes in through the nose. And I also believe that that is the same worm that Phlox treated Reed with after his leg got fucked up that you are to believe that you pee that thing out. That is correct. That is what happened. He, he also treated it with uh, Travis Mayweather, Travis Mayweather. And when he, he got fucked up when, uh, when they went, he went to rise and he's off screen. He like hurt his Adonis like body in some fashion. Those worms have been in a lot of urethras. They get around. They do. They do. And they've been now. They've now they've been in Degra. You might not get to go to Riza, but there will still be a conjugal visit during your tour on Enterprise. Um, well, when yeah. the simulation fails is when uh, Degra tries to cover himself up in, in what he had done. That No, I didn't give you the actual coordinates. Uh, it's a fuel processing facility. <laughs> and without much in the way of options, Archer cooks up a second rope of dope. Well, before that, uh, the critical mass point, Degret believes that things are fucky. He gets the knife out or no, he's like, hey, you know, um, basically challenge questions. You know, over three years, I'm sure I told you the names of my daughters. And he's like, oh, and then, you know, Hoshi comes through and says it's like Poppy and Chippy or whatever the fucking kids names were. (laughs) And he's like, who was the older one? And then Archer's like sitting there like, hmm, what? Bro, you got a 50-50 chance. Just say Chippy. Yeah. Say Poppy. It's one of the two. (laughs) Worst case scenario, what's going to happen anyways happens. Like, come on, man. Learn how to lie. 
Uh, and that's when he, you know, freaks out and they storm in. And I would have liked to see the Makos get in there with those electric nightsticks and zap them up a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Gotta be this with the electric bzz, 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 bzz. Hey, They're doing their part. <laughs> yeah. Toss him back in the pokey. Uh, and at this point, it looks like Degra has the, the upper hand that he has seen through the weak um, uh, facade of Archer's. Uh, plans and then I catch that whiff of oh you know what let me look at this real quick let's see who the director was on the classic the the Voyager classic origin of Juggalo Tech the Thaw tell me it's V'ger damn it Martin Rush Oh, you thought you thought that he had also directed the thaw? Oh, wow! <clears throat> because it's the same type of. Uh, you thought you saw through my tricks, but then I tricked you again, and you didn't know about the second time. And I get the upper hand, and you look like a clown. Um, Archer comes up with a new full immersion, uh, escape room. Yeah, this is like when the Battlestar event. Galactica larp larped on an actual submarine. You that know, sounds like, dope. Yeah, well, apparently it was. <laughs> that's, that sounds expensive. That sounds that's the Nordic. Nordic people for you. You know, they just like, take that treat that she real sh- serious. Me too. Um, so here's here's the new con, right? We're gonna put this con right up there with uh, when uh, Tom Paris gets his groove back, along with. Uh, with Neelix, Neelix, live fast and prosper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can't can't one get of the out. best. Yeah, can't get when you, when you don't know the episode is going to be about Tom and Neelix getting their groove back, right? Like you think mm-hmm. it's going to be like a, a relatively anodyne Trek story where them getting duped is simply part of the story, not the climax that leads to them buying back their street cred. <laughs> but in this circumstance, you they thought have determined- the plot was that they were trying to stop bad people from defrauding the galaxy. But in reality, the plot was about um, Neelix and Tom proving to themselves that they're still that they're shitty. not soft. Yeah, they're still liars. <laughs> they're great liars and con men and thieves. So here's the deal. Uh, we have figured out how to use. What is it? Slipstream technology? What the fuck are they, they doing? They, Transwarping? They, essentially what they have found out in in the kind of the ether of the episode is that the Zindi travel by subspace portals of some kind that they have these little portals that go from place to place and they know where they are and they use them to travel faster than light or or to shortcut or however whatever the case a byproduct of the spheres yes that's cool that's really cool uh and the they they know they exist so what they decide to do is fake the concept that they have repurposed zindi technology to be able to access those same portals and create a whole meta fiction that the ship is having difficulty using it and bring degra out of his cell with his guys and try and force him at gunpoint to help him and then they refuse but then say, oh, Mayweather's just so awesome. He figured it out on his own to create this very sincere feeling circumstance 
where they where they're trying to see if Dagger will respond to the idea that they made their way to uh, one specific location, which is a Zanti Prime, which is where he identified inadvertently is the location of the weapon. And they're really trying to determine if the coordinates they have and that identification are true by convincing him it's true. They just went there. And the climax is he buys it and he exclaims like, no, you're still never going to get to the weapon. We have two strong defenses here. And Archer like turns to him and says, gotcha, bitch. We're still the test site. Ashton (laughs) Kusher comes running out. Oh, yeah. With some Ed Hardy apparel on and, you know, everybody's jumping around and then Degra's friends come out of the fucking bathroom and they're laughing and they come up and give him a hug and like, you got punked. You're on candid camera. Degra's like, oh, you motherfuckers got me so good. Damn. Hey, where's that roof and all that? (laughs) Seriously, he seriously makes sure that Degra knows, like, I fooled you. I got you, bitch. (laughs) I got you, and your simple primate brain is so prone to fucking uh, chemical tampering. We're just going to drug you guys all over again. and That's literally what they do. This plot is ends up solved by the fact they drug them all again, so they forget any of this happened, drop them off on their ship, and then, like, peace out before the other Zindis show up. And the episode just fucking ends at that, at that point. But it kind of gets to. Because they told the story it needed to tell. Enterprise knows where the weapon is now. This has been their goal all season, right? Where is the weapon? Stop it from deploying. If you can, convince the Zindi not to do this. If you can't, blow that shit up. Well, now they know where it is. Feathers in the cap to Terry Metalis and his script. like Just like the Vulcan uh, Resident Evil, right? He covers all of his bases. They have possession of Degra's ship, but they can't just go in the database and hack it because Degra started wiping it before they had a chance to board, thus necessitating interrogating Degra directly. But then when they put Degra back on his ship, freshly roof and all. Okay, you know, we made it look like they were basically huffing space fumes in here. That's why they're all knocked the fuck out. Well, that doesn't explain the database partially uh, deleted. No, but we're calling attention to it. So it's not just an open fucking plot hole. And we're going to say that's a, you know, there's nothing we can do about it and we need to move on. And that's all you need to do. Yeah, because they're going to like, oh, everything was fucky. Something happened and they're not going to want to think too hard about it either. You know, like just natural tendency of people like I can fill those gaps in in my mind. Like you said, do enough. So that your audience can take that little bit of leap and that's, you're good. You did all the hard part. You built a structure around this episode, provided the tension, provided the stakes, propelled the story forward in a material fashion and gave me an explanation as to why that your ending works. Perfect. I love where they left it. Um, I don't have much else to say. I know that we're only like about 45 minutes on this, but it's a fucking tight episode. It doesn't waste a lot of time. There's not a lot to make fun of here. It's just good. And it was where the show's starting to kind of pick up the pace as they get into the middle of the season, right? Like they've only got like 10 episodes left. So like we've got to start stringing them together. No more North stars, no more major diversions. Like if we're, 
if we're we might have uh, one more actually here where it's like not quite directly plot related but it is definitely story related and so you got to start setting things up it's interesting when we come across these episodes that don't have a lot of set pieces um and there's not a lot of turns of events because we come up short on the runtime in the podcast but the scenes the long scenes between these characters it's good i, I can't we can't sit there and go over every single line of dialogue like all the dialogue between degra and archer especially within the ruse is solid the connections they make there are solid uh it's a good episode it's definitely worth watching uh and i i would really wish there were more episodes like this where it's just like i'm not taking notes i'm just enjoying dialogue on the screen and that's fundamentally i think what Star Trek can very easily be. And that's what Star Trek made its mark on television with. Uh, because it's cheap. It's true. You're doing 30 episodes, you know, uh, and it's a shame that we don't really get a lot of these types of episodes in enterprise move. I mean, and, and what you just said though, about the economy being so much of the appeal. I mean, one of the number one thing we said about Picard, Metallus made the best season of Star Trek in 20 years with a box of scraps and using the economy he was forced into to create good content. Who knew? Yeah, it's a it's a byproduct of necessity. So I figure since we're talking about the man this week, might as well give a shout out. So and if you like those shout outs, by the way, there's a bunch of Picard reviews on our Patreon. You should go check it out. www.patreon.com slash future, please. What are we watching next week? Season three, episode 15, Harbinger, Harbinger, uh, teleplay by Manny Cotto. Uh-oh, story by Rick Berman, Bram Braga, directed by David Livingston. Um, there's a man raising his hand. He looks like a Tootsie Roll that was uh, forgotten in a glove box for a long time and then reproduced, and he's just an old, faded, crusty piece of shit. Enterprise rescues an alien from a massive spatial anomaly, but its lone pilot refuses to explain why he was there. Reed and Hayes confront each other over their roles on the ship. <laughs> Hayes kills Reed and takes his place. <laughs> yes, but, you know, I was thinking about Reed in the shower. Um, as one does. As one, you know, just thinking about Star Trek Enterprise in the shower, because that's where my life is at. Uh, he has not been miserable this season. And that is enjoyable to me because he was really sucking the fun out of the show in the scenes that he was in. And he still had some shitty moments this season. Uh, but I think overall, it has been a much more charitable uh, series of scripts coming his way for him to act. So I'll be curious to see what version of Reed we're going to get here. If it's the previous uh little motherfucker if it's going to be the okay I don't <laughs> I don't hate you well what we don't hate is you noble listener and we look forward to joining us next week on this continued adventure through Zindi Space see you then <laughs>